his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of G- Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us your word. Give us hearts and minds that would attend to your word and we would be open to hear what you would say to us. We'd respond with faith. We would believe you. We would trust you and obey you. And so uh, open your word to us now, we pray. In the name of Christ, our Savior, amen. If you were here with us uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at a passage in uh, the beginning of Exodus about Moses' childhood, and we talked about the topic of calling and how all of our callings in life are shaped by our childhood and by the families we came from and by people that God has placed in our life. This morning, I want to do part two of that topic of calling, calling part two, as we now move later into Moses' life and the famous episode about uh, him encountering God at, uh, in the burning bush and this uh, strange story. And it is here that God calls Moses to be the great deliverer of the people of Israel who's going to lead them out of uh, the, <clears throat> the land of Egypt. And I want to begin by asking, you know, what do I mean by the word calling? Os Guinness puts it this way. He says, at some point, every one of us confronts the question, how do I find and fulfill the central purpose of my life? How do I find and fulfill the central purpose of my life? That's what our calling is. And uh, this is an important question in a culture like ours is becoming increasingly secular, a culture that, for many of us, does not, we do not grow up with an awareness that this world was made by God, that my life is charged with meaning and purpose because of who God is. And for many people growing up in, um, in our culture in this day, uh, there's a certain void or emptiness about what is the purpose of my life? What am I living for? And, um, well, this passage uh, tells the story of how Moses came to understand the central purpose of his life. And I think that it has some uh, powerful insights, insights for our generation. So this morning, I, I want us to ask this question together. How do I engage in God's call on my life? How do I engage in God's call in my life? And... There are four answers in this passage that I want to highlight. By preparing, by presenting, 
by pondering, and by a promise. Four things, four ways. By preparing, God prepares us for our calling. By presenting, we must present ourselves before God as our king. By pondering God's great story in the world that we're a part of, and by the promises that he gives to us in Jesus. So uh, four, four answers to this question, and this is a big topic. I hope there's, you find something in here that speaks to your life as we look at this, this amazing passage from Exodus. So first, first answer, how do I engage in God's call in my life? The first answer is by preparing for that calling. And you see this here in verse 1 where it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So this passage begins by saying that Moses was living as a shepherd with Jethro, the priest of Midian. And the book of Acts tells us actually that this was 40 years that Moses spent living in Midian and, uh, as a shepherd. And the Midianites, were, they were a nomadic people. They were wandering around in the wilderness as shepherds. And this mountain that Moses comes to, Mount Horeb, is more famously known as Mount Sinai, which is the same mountain that he's going to show up in, in Exodus 19 with the people of Israel. He's going to show up, and that's where he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. And so the question is, what was God doing for 40 years, having Moses working and wandering as a shepherd in the wilderness? The whole scene is a preparation for Moses' future calling. Right? He's a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. He's gonna, what is he going to do? He's going to lead the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. And he comes to the mountain of God where he encounters God on the mountain. He's going to lead all of God's people to encounter God on this mountain. But I also think that even more than that, just being a shepherd was teaching Moses grit, hard work, patience. You know, sheep are always wandering off and they're not very smart and he's going to deal with the Israelites who are similarly, you know, criticizing him. He's learning patience. He's learning leadership. He's learning all kinds of skills from shepherding. And so calling always involves a period of preparation, a time where we're being prepared. And I think that tells us a couple things about preparation in calling. And the first is this, that I think that that tells us the, the importance of hard work in our lives. You may not think of hard work as like a spiritual matter, but some of you may right now be in jobs that either feel demanding or maybe don't feel important. The job you're doing may not feel like this is an important job. This is not what I dreamed of. And you might be asking, why does God have me doing this job? Why have I been in this job for such a season that seems not important to me? Well, it could be because God is preparing. You're in a season of preparing. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to Art Lim, who's one of our elders. Uh, he, Art's a great climber. And uh, he, he was telling me that in climbing, he, um, he would have these periods of plateaus where he's working out and he's working every day. And it seems like he's not getting any better. He's not doing harder problems. But during those seasons of plateaus, all your tendons are strengthening. And your body is preparing itself for the next period of growth. So that your body's going to be able to hold on when, you know, when you're now doing, you know, hanging off some cliff or whatever you do. You know, uh, and your body is being prepared. And you might be in a season where you're doing work that you think is menial. It's not your dream job. It's not what you thought you'd be doing with your life. But you may be in a plateau. Moses was in one for 40 years. It took a while 
for him to be prepared. And Jesus tells us that the way the Lord works is that those who are faithful with a little, he entrusts with much. And the things that we may think are menial, not important, like being a shepherd, they may be important to the Lord. They may be a testing ground, a time of preparation where he's entrusting us with a little to see can we be faithful with the little that he's given to us. And we need to hear that there is a dignity that the Bible gives to hard work, especially in tasks that don't seem glamorous, like being a shepherd. Actually, another uh, this summer when I was on a sabbatical, my wife and I listened to a podcast about a guy named uh, Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is the, the host of Dirty Jobs. If you've seen that show, where they, he goes around to all these kind of weird jobs or messy jobs, and he learns to do uh, you know, all these things that you, know, you, you never even think of, that people have these jobs and learns about these jobs that we might think are not very important. And what Mike Rowe uh, says in this interview is that our culture trains us to think that we need to follow our passions. We need to follow our dreams and do you know, something great. That's what, what a calling is about. And he says that following your passion is really, actually really bad advice. And he talks about one guy that he met who owns a company that um, pumps septic tanks. And he was talking to the guy, and the guy said, you know, if you'd asked me when I was in high school if it was my dream job to pump septic tanks for a living, I, there's no way I would have said yes. And yet I've kind of stumbled into this, and now I have a business, and I'm actually pretty good at this. And I have these employees who work for me, and I care for them. And, um, and I, I really help people. This is an important job that people need done. I'm really doing a service to my community. And I would have never fallen into that if I was following my passions. And Mike Rowe says that the, uh, the whole follow your passions way of thinking completely miss, misses the opportunity of this man's life. And so instead he says... You shouldn't follow your passions. Your passions should follow you. Where God leads you. Wherever you are in your work, you have to say, God has put me here. God has entrusted this work. It may be a little thing. It may be a big thing. He has entrusted this work to me, and I should give to it my passion. I should learn to love it. And so there's importance of hard work. I also think this passage says something about the importance of natural gifts in our calling. You know that uh, Moses was a shepherd. It's kind of an earthy skill. And it, was, it turns out that shepherding, that earthy skill, is really tied to his spiritual calling and his spiritual gifts as a leader in Israel. And, you know, some of us come in and say, you know, there are certain spiritual gifts that people have, like some people like to read books and they're really into theology and talking about theology, and I'm not into that. I'm not sure I have much to offer. I'm not sure what my spiritual contribution to God's kingdom is. But I think that oftentimes our spiritual gifts are just our natural gifts that have been transformed by faith and by love for our neighbor, faith in God and love for our neighbor. And so if you work with your hands or if you're a teacher, if you're organized or administrative, if you're wealthy and you're good with money, your spiritual calling often means taking your natural gifts and directing them towards God's kingdom. So this passage begins with Moses in a time of preparation, doing something that is not glamorous, that we might not think is important, as a shepherd, and it shows us the importance of hard work in our calling and natural gifts. But in the midst of this steady, faithful work that Moses is doing, 40 years as a shepherd, he has a certain curiosity about him 
that leads him into a higher calling that God has for him. He is open to other things that God might be doing. And I like the way that the, uh, this passage puts it in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. You know, Moses is writing this about himself, but he's saying about, he had this interest about this strange thing that God seemed to be doing that, you know, took him off his normal path. There's a curiosity to him. And I think, you know, that might be a question for some of you. You might say, how do I know if I'm in a season in my life where it is a time of steady faithfulness, where I just got to be thankful what God has entrusted me to do? It might be a work that I don't think is glamorous. I just need to be steady in it. Or is it a time for that steady faithfulness to be disrupted. And God has other purposes, other things that he wants me to take a risk and, and do something that's out of the ordinary. How do I know which time it is? Well, I think this is, leads to a second way that we engage our calling is by presenting. So by preparation first, but second, by presenting ourselves to the Lord. We present ourselves to him. I think it's an important spiritual discipline. And you see it here in verse 4 when it says, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Moses presents himself before the Lord and says, Here I am for you. Or as one commentator put it, Moses is saying, I'm prepared to hear and obey saying to the Lord, I am prepared to hear what you have to say to me and obey it and do it. And the reason that I use the language of presenting is the language that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Romans. Let me read to you a verse from Romans 6. This is what Paul says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Well, he says it is a spiritual discipline for us to come and bring ourselves before God and to say, my body, my mind, my ambitions, my passions, they belong to you. I am prepared to hear what you have to say to me and obey it. That's a spiritual discipline. And I'll tell you what this does, is when you do that, when you go before the Lord and you say, I'm willing to hear you and obey you, it makes your life lived before what some have called the audience of one. One set of eyes that you live before. And what I mean by that is that most of us tend to have an audience that we live our life before. People whose eyes we really care about and how, what they think about what we're doing in our calling. For many of us, you know, maybe our calling is, comes from expectations our parents had on us. And they say, well, this is, you know, this is what you're going to do. This is what a good life looks like. This is what a godly life looks like. And we're performing for our parents, looking for their applause. Or you might be living for your boss, you know, or the company that you work for. And you say, I'm looking for their applause and their approval. And presenting ourselves before the Lord is saying, I live before one set of eyes. And I make the decisions about my calling based on what God alone has called me to. And so as you think about your calling in your life, who is the audience that you are living your life before? Is it the gracious eyes of the Lord? Or is it the, the eyes of someone else? Whose applause are you seeking? 
and I, I think this spiritual discipline of presenting yourself from the Lord, I think is possibly a good way to start a day, you know, that I begin my day by presenting myself to the Lord and say, Lord, use my mind, my body as an instrument of righteousness. Whoever comes into my life today, I will receive them from you. You led them to me, and I'm going to talk to them and use my life for your service. But I think there are also times where you need to take a pause and really step back and take a day of solitude, you know, a day or two, and really think about what is God calling me to? You know, what are my gifts? What are the opportunities that I have? You know, am I in a time of steady faithfulness or is it a time for that steady faithfulness to be disrupted for me to take a risk and do something else that God is calling me to? And that doesn't happen unless we take a time of reflection where we bring ourselves to the Lord and say, I'm willing to hear and do what you call me to. I'm willing to hear and obey. Some of you may hear that and say, well, you know, what's going to happen if I go to the Lord and hear and obey? He's going to want me to be a missionary. Isn't that what God always... Isn't that, the way to, isn't that the way this goes? And first of all, well, a foreign missionary, maybe not. I would say some of you, that may happen. There may be a gnawing to say, you know, I want to serve God's kingdom. And I've, I've been in this work, and I've been waiting for the perfect time for that to happen. And guess what? The perfect time will never come. There's a time where we have to say to the Lord, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to obey you. But for most of us, we may not be foreign missionaries, but we do have to understand that we're missionaries here. Yes, we are missionaries. Wherever God has, has placed us in our work, in our families, in our extended families, in our neighborhoods, in our hobbies, wherever that is, God has placed us there as missionaries. And to present ourselves and say, here I am, is to say I'm open, I'm willing, and I'm curious the way Moses was curious. But another question you might have is you say, okay, you know, when someone does this, they say to the Lord, I'm willing to hear and obey you. Isn't the thing that they usually hear the thing that they really wanted to do anyways? Right? They hear, and, and now they're just saying that the thing that I wanted to do is what the Holy Spirit is now telling me to do because I went before the Lord. How do we answer that? Uh, you know, because you might say, well, I don't have a burning bush. <laughs> Moses had a burning bush talking at him, telling him what to do. I don't have a burning bush. Well, I think, first of all, we have to realize that we do have the words of the burning bush. They're recorded for us. And Moses got some words in his burning bush. We've, this is a big burning bush right here talking to us. There is a lot that this has to say about who we are and what our calling is. And so to read this text and to say, but it's also the Holy Spirit does work inside of us to, to... God calls us to certain things by the Holy Spirit. It's a combination of the Holy Spirit working with God's Word to give us a sense of our calling in this life. And that leads to the third answer to our question. How do we engage God's call? It's, it's through preparation. It is important that we present ourselves before the Lord and say we're willing to do what He calls us to. But the third thing is by pondering by reflecting on God's story of what he is doing in his kingdom in the world and loving that story. And what's interesting about this passage is that it both affirms and even honors the more modest work of something like being a shepherd, but God's purposes will, in various ways, lift us out of the ordinary work that we're doing in our life into a grander picture of God's purposes in the world. And if you drift along and never have time to reflect on the big picture of what God is doing, 
then um, you will not be fruitful in the calling that God has for your life. If you haven't stepped back and said, what is God's purpose and what is my place in it? And in this passage, the Lord tells the story to Moses of what he's going to do before he even does it. Look at, listen to him tell the story. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. An essential part of Moses' calling was the story that he was a part of. He had to hear the story. He had to internalize the story. He had to believe the story. And one of the major deficiencies of people understanding their calling in our generation is what narrative, what story is defining our lives. Well, you know, what is the story of the American dream? I'm going to grow up, I go to college, I get a job, I hopefully find someone to get married to, maybe have a kid or two, and then I'm going to work until I can get retired and hopefully have a nice retirement that's restful. For many of us, that is the narrative that we are playing out, that we're characters in. That's the script that we are following for our lives. And what the gospel does is it blows open the meaning and purpose of our existence by giving us a grander story that, no, I'm make, made in this wild, beautiful world that was made by God and is charged with meaning. And this is meant to be the place of his kingdom. And the reason that humanity is at war with one another and we cannot get along with each other is because we have been in rebellion against the creator who loves us and made us. And we've been alienated from him. And so now... Uh, God is calling all people from every nation to come and to join into a family where he is now renewing all things through Jesus Christ and bringing peace to all things in heaven and earth. And we are part of this huge narrative where one day he will set all things right in the earth. He will wipe away every tear and he will flood this creation with his presence and we will live with him for endless ages. That's a different story. That's a really different story than the one that we are telling ourselves that is making the decisions for us and our calling in our lives. And it is a story that calls us to be participants in it. And uh, this, this week I had coffee with Lyle Strag. Lyle Strag's new to our church. He's uh, been coming since the spring, and he's a retired pastor and seminary professor, and I was talking with him this week, and we were talking about this passage. And he pointed out to me that in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 that we looked at last week, there are three verbs that God that describes what God is doing. It says that God heard, God saw, and God knew. And then he said, you know, in this chapter, those three verbs are repeated again. And look at verse 7, where it says it again. Then the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Same three verbs. But then he goes on. In verse 8, this is what the Lord, now a new verb, and I have come down to deliver them. 
So you get to that point, you say, wow, God is acting. He's delivering his people. He's going to save this nation of slaves. And Moses is saying, wow, God's about to do something great. How's he going to do it? (laughs) Verse 10, come, I will send you. That's what I'm going to do. I'll tell you, we are not a bunch of Moseses. You're not going to have a burning bush experience at any time in your life. But God is doing something in Bellingham and in Whatcom County. And you might say, well, how's he going to do it? He put us here. That's how he's going to do it, is through us. He put us here, which is wild. And unless we have pondered the beauty and breadth of God's amazing story of redemption, we will not be brought in to play our part. We won't play our part unless we're captured by that picture. Now, you might hear that and you say, wow, God has chosen us to be the thing that how he's going to work here is through us. You might hear that and sympathize with Moses' next words in verse 11 where he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt, out of, or the, the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he says, who am I? And we to say, who are we to be participants in God's renewal of all things? This leads to our final point. How do we engage in God's call? It's, there's a period of preparation, and then we present ourselves to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I'm here to obey you, to hear you and obey you. And it comes through coming together like this and pondering the story that we're a part of and realizing the poor. And we've got to hear it over and over again. We've got to internalize the story that we're a part of. But lastly is ultimately by God's promise that we are enabled to do the calling that he has for us. And, you know, this story, look at how this story begins again in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, the word there for Lord is, in Hebrew, it's actually God's name, Yahweh, that we translate it as, as the Lord. And that phrase, the angel of the Lord, is really actually the, the, the angel Yahweh, or the angel who is Yahweh. And throughout the Old Testament, there is this mysterious character, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, who shows up, and in one second you're talking to him, he's like, he's the angel, and then all of a sudden, it's, he is the Lord. It's like, he is the Lord, come and talking to people, and you're like, which are you, the angel or you're the Lord? And throughout history, Christians have said, oh, that angel of the Lord, that is Jesus. Before he became a baby and came to walk among us, Jesus was God and was with God. He is that angel of the Lord who came and called Moses. Moses was called by Jesus just like we are called by Jesus. And the promise that is given to Moses when he says, who am I to go do this? In verse 12, it says, but he said, Jesus says, but I will be with you. That is the exact promise that Jesus gave to us when he gave us our mission to make disciples of all nations. In the closing words of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we don't go into our calling as Christians, in your work, whatever it is, however God has called you to be a blessing, to glorify God, to love your neighbor, in your families, however that is, we don't go into our callings confident in ourselves. Moses was not confident in himself. We go out confident in the one who is with us, who goes with us. And so if you're asking that enormous question, How do I find and fulfill the central purpose of my life? The Bible tells us the answer is not the narrative of the American dream. It's far too small. 
The answer is not in our family or friends or whatever audience we may be living our life before. The answer is not in our wealth or a job or a hobby or a retirement. The answer is in a person. What is the central calling of my life? It is the person of Jesus who knows us, who made us, who loves us, and promises to be with us. And so let me leave you with this novel idea. Stop following your passions. But instead, let your passions follow Jesus where he leads you. Let's pray together.